Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. It's not the most pleasant thing to think of, but it's possible you've heard the term cadaver dog. These are dogs trained by scent to be able to identify bodies when they're looking through rubble and wreckage, but also when they're searching for missing persons. It's an extremely useful thing because finding the bodies is one of the key ways that investigators can figure out what happened to a person and possibly find leads and gather evidence in order to solve the crime. So cadaver dogs have been in existence for a while. Now let me introduce you to cadaver bees. George Mason University in Virginia, the Honey Bee Initiative, and the Forensic Science Research and Training Lab have teamed up to see if there might be a way to use the behavior of honeybees to help investigators crack cold cases and find cadavers. Now, since there's more than 600,000 people that go missing every year and about 4,400 unidentified bodies actually wind up being recovered every year, just finding the ones that we so far have been unable to find is actually a pretty useful thing. So what are they trying to do? Well, it turns out that when bees make honey, there are proteins with biochemical information that are very identifiable about what the bees have eaten and where they have been. And by extracting the proteins from the honey, they can actually determine things like were the bees in a field that had pesticides or what kind of flowers were the bees near? All all kinds of fascinating information. So one of the researchers tells Newsweek, we thought, well, if bees are feeding on flowering plants that are near decomposing bodies... Would the chemical compounds of human decomposition be part of the proteins the bees ingest? And if they ingest it, will they deposit it in their honey? Fascinating theory. Because working backwards, if you knew that somebody had gone missing in a certain area, maybe you do some sampling of the honey produced by honeybees in that vicinity. Maybe you stumble upon the right kind of indicators and you can work your way backwards from there to try and find a location. Well, obviously they need to test the theory. So researchers now are in the process of working in a heavily wooded one-acre section of outdoor forensic lab at George Mason University to create an experiment. They're planting 160 different plants with highly scented flowers, and by the end of April in this year, researchers are then going to take donated human remains and bury them in one-and-a-half to two-foot deep graves, which is kind of an average depth that actual killers use to bury their victims in, relatively shallow. Well, obviously, after they bury the bodies and then after they give some time to the bees to go through their process, they can start sampling and see if there's a discernible way to identify where the bodies might be found. Obviously, at this point, it's kind of a theoretical premise, but hey, if it turns out and it helps solve crimes, much the better, right? So you remember how the federal government made all kinds of money available through the CARES Act and then subsequently through the American Rescue Plan, and there was a concern that maybe so many billions and billions trillions, really, of money sloshing around into the economy might somehow wind up being used fraudulently and received inappropriately. Well, it seems like every week we are hearing new stories of the task force that's been assigned to figure out all of the various forms of coronavirus funding fraud. And now the newest one, Mac Devon Knight, age 45, of Kingsland, Georgia. He just pled guilty to two counts of wire fraud after receiving $149,000 in fraudulent government funding from the Small Business Administration. 
He's facing 20 years in prison. There could be three years of supervised release, no parole in the federal system. So what exactly did he do? Well, according to court documents, he represented himself to be the owner of several different businesses, including mortician, restaurateur, tax preparer, and pastor. And then he applied for economic injury disaster loans from the SBA on behalf of multiple of these businesses in Camden County, Georgia. In connection with that, he claimed that there were hundreds of thousands of dollars of gross revenue prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. And of course, pretty much all of this turned out to be completely fraudulent with fake tax documents and altered bank records. But I know what you're wondering. The guy got $150,000 from the feds. What did he buy? His biggest purchase? Mercedes-Benz S-Class sedan, which now, of course, is going to be forfeited and go back to the United States. But look, in December, we found out that the Secret Service's National Pandemic Fraud Recovery Coordinator, Roy Dotson, said about $100 billion of the approximately $3.4 trillion in COVID-19 relief funds were stolen or fraudulent or, or connected to fraud somehow or other. You had a guy in Baltimore who was indicted by the federal... You had a guy in Baltimore indicted for false mortgage applications related to two vacation homes in Florida. You had a guy in Texas sentenced to 110 months in prison for laundering $1.5 million in COVID funds, including purchasing a Ford F-150 truck, a Rolex watch, and a Lamborghini Urus. Uh, these things don't all seem to hang together very well, but why vehicles? Well, why not if you've got the money from the government, right? And again, that task force is ongoing and expected to file many, many more criminal charges as they uncover other schemes and examples of fraud. And finally, what's the neatest thing archaeologically that you've ever found? I mean, maybe you found like a shark's tooth or an arrowhead or small golden statue of a shrunken head around the size of a bag of sand that you can remove from a pressure-sensitive plate in the middle of a cave after avoiding the arrows that were shooting at you? Okay, back to reality. Somewhere in between those two extremes lies a story of Robert Brown. He's 53 years old, and he was exploring a cave in the Qumran area. That's the Dead Sea Scrolls kind of vicinity. He and some friends had climbed into the cave about 300 feet above a road during a hike, and while they were there, he discovered a completely intact early Bronze Age jug that is estimated to be 5,000 years old or so. Now, it's kind of an interesting story because Brown had been to this cave, Cave 53, previously. He was actually there as part of an archaeological dig five years ago that was led by researchers from Hebrew University of Jerusalem and University of Liberty in Virginia, and they'd found some things, uh, shards of jars and bowls, dates, olive seeds, and piece of an ancient scroll. Kind of cool. But nothing like this. I mean, fully intact pottery is very rare to find. In fact, one of the strange parts of the story is that the authorities were very surprised such a find had been made, given that it had been so fully excavated previously. But the thinking goes that maybe there was a kind of a rock slide around the entrance to the cave, and somehow or other that had dislodged what might have been concealing this particular jug. The jug found intact and laying on the ground. And here's where, as luck would have it, a guy with some experience in the field of archaeology finds the intact jug, immediately recognizes the possibility of its historical significance, doesn't touch it, photographs it, and calls the antiquities folks and says, hey, come look at this, this might be kind of interesting, which of course it turns out to have been. The authorities also used it as a reminder to the public that if you ever do find something like this, you want to keep it intact, and you definitely can't take it because the Israeli Antiquities Authority will definitely arrest you if you are selling antiquities that you're not even supposed to have in the first place. That's it for the Daily Break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup. And please consider subscribing to our digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. And while you're here, rate me five stars. I appreciate it. 
I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to The Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek. Newsweek.